Welcome to Pure Awesome Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando. And this is episode 98, almost live. Yeah. Well, this episode isn't almost live, but we're almost to our one. But no, no, no. But not, not that. To be live. <laughs> that's not what I meant. What I meant is we're recording this so close to when we're dropping that it could almost be live. Oh, I see what you're saying. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, so I know, you know, we've been under a lot of pressure the last few days, been super busy. And, you know, doing the podcast, you know, it takes time out of the day. It does. And we're we're excited to do it. Don't get us wrong. It's not like, oh, we got to come in and record it. But it was one of those that we we had to make this happen. And so, you know, I know some of you like the early mornings, but we recognize, right, Sundays, people kind of listen to stuff later in the day. Yeah, Sunday's a little bit slow for for us with the release early. So we we try to get the the podcast up. I've been trying to get it up like 4 a.m. in the morning, uh, Pacific Standard Time. That way people on the East Coast, you know. Can use it for their commute or whatever they're they're, they're listening to it, but um, but yeah. So uh, our time right now it's it's already afternoon, and so it'll be going up right after it's done. We're gonna slap it up online, and so when you listen to it, yeah, you, you're almost I guess listening to a live podcast. So hopefully, like an hour delay. So hopefully, there's nothing crazy. It, this would be like live like conversation to somebody like on the moon or Mars or something where there's like a delay, like an hour. I think Mars is a huge difference between Mars and Moon. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm not. I, I'm not a scientist, so I don't know what the delay time is for communication. I don't think it's that long. Uh, I think that moon. movie. I think remember that movie, Matt Damon, the Mars movie. Oh, that was one of the best books I ever read. Like, yeah, oh, I literally. Well, the movie was okay, uh, but uh, The Martian is the movie. Yeah, yeah. The Martian. That's right. Uh, I I literally laughed out loud multiple times while reading the book and that doesn't happen often so wow. yeah if you haven't read that book it is hilarious uh, but that's not the book we're reading today today <laughs> is our level up review and we are reading something a little more serious than that uh maybe some laughing times uh, but a little bit more serious and we are finished or not finishing we're, we're continuing our never split the difference by chris voss and what have your overall thoughts been so far on this book it's an incredible book it, it's probably one of the best books i've ever read yeah, it's amazing. And 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 I've read uh, all kinds of I've read books from ancient Greeks uh to modern philosophers to you know there's the practical how-tos. And this is kind of everything, right? So this is from this kid this can work and, and this is one of the things that we discussed you know earlier on in one of the books the 10x book, you know, Grant Cardone had said this can apply to every part of your life and we kind of had this ongoing is that really true? Can we do that? And you know, I, I believe parts of it you can. Right. This one, I think it applies to multiple levels. I had told Mike before we did the podcast, I said, sounds like marriage counseling, right? Yeah, yeah it's true. I mean, when you think about it, though, a lot of a lot of really good marriage counseling or even just, I mean, he talks about it in the third chapter, which we'll get to even just um, like when people go to a psychiatrist for different things, it, it's all communication, mm-hmm. right? Like it's all communication, like your relationships with other people is communication. And so this book does a great job of breaking down. And like we talked about in the first episode where we talked about Never Split the Difference is it takes it to the extremes, Mm -hmm. right? So it shows bank robbers and people who are holding people hostage and all of these things that are the extremes. But it kind of shows like that shows where things go when it gets its most intense. But the same principles apply when it's more calm. And, And often those are the situations we're in. But these same things apply because if it works there, it's going to work in other areas too. You might just have to tone down a little bit, you know. No, I get it. And, and I joked about marriage counseling because it's not a marriage counseling book at all, but it's a communication book, like you right. said. And one of the biggest, I would say, 
areas of my life that has greatly impacted my ability to do certain things has been improving my communication. Right. Right. And so when I jumped from being a teacher to being an administrator, I remember I ignored all the administration books, which I don't know, maybe that was good. Maybe that was bad. But I picked up as many communication books as I as I was able to read in that summer. Because I I understood and I knew because when I when I look to leaders, it's the leaders that could communicate that I resonated with the leaders that got things done at all costs and just, you know, walked over people and didn't listen. Those leaders usually didn't last very long. Right. Right. And so I was huge in communication. So this is bringing me back to that. And, you know, we've talked about in reselling how. One of the one of the ways to really excel, you know, to to help your bottom line is to be able to communicate and get people to understand, you know, what you do and what you need and being in that place where you come to an agreement. And, you know, in this book uses the word collaboration and it's it's very much applicable to reselling. Right. But the beauty of this book is that it can be applicable in <laughs> your conversation at Thanksgiving. Yep. Wait, post Thanksgiving. Yep. Right, we're passing Thanksgiving, but hopefully you implemented some of this in your Thanksgiving. That's true. If not, you've got some uh, some tools in your belt for next that year. You can mend things that didn't go well during Thanksgiving. Right. Yep. Uh, it applies to reselling right now. It, and I'll share this on the podcast later on about, you know, even when I was out and about sourcing uh, this past Black Friday, uh, you know, implementing some of these things definitely was very helpful. Right. And so... And also with raising kids. And I mean, I can go on and on and on, but I, I, I read this book and I go, this would be, you know, if you ever give graduates like a stack of books, you ever done that? I don't know. Yeah. I, I've done that before where graduates came to me before they graduated from high school and said, you know, what do you recommend are books that I read before I enter college? Or and some and actually a couple of graduates, I gave them some books as a gift. And I said, these are the books I recommend you read. And so this would definitely be a book I would recommend to anybody as far as for right now. I mean, we've only read four chapters. That's in, true. Yeah. But for right now, it's pretty good. Yeah. And we're going to be covering chapter two and three today. Um, and chapter two is called Be a Mirror. And I think I love this chapter because it, it talks on the importance of communication uh, on multiple levels. And a big part of communication is often nonverbal. And it goes through some of that here. And more than anything, though, communication is is it's part of our life, right? It's something you have to do. And so when you can implement these tools in order to, you know, better relationships that you have uh, to create relationships that you don't have, that's going to help you, like Orlando said, in reselling in every aspect of your life. Uh, so right off the bat, what what kind of stood out to you with chapter two? That is tough. I would say being the mirror to me is one of the most difficult of all I think that the attributes you need to be a good negotiator. Right. Right. Because it it takes a lot of, I would say, put, checking your ego and putting it aside and just being willing to listen. Yeah. Right. And then not only listen, but you have to listen to a point that you have to be able to share back. How many times have you been in that scenario? We talked about this in the last level up where somebody says, so what did I just say? Mm. <laughs> and you go, uh, well, you mentioned this and like, no, that that's not yeah. what I said. Yeah. You have working memory that you can, you can remember like the last 30 to 40 seconds of something that happened in a conversation, which is why you cannot be devoted hundred percent to something. You could be playing a video game or doing something else and somebody's talking to you. And then when they catch you not listening and they say that you might be able to pair it back a little bit, 
But if they didn't ask you that, that stuff after that 30 to 40 seconds is gone because it doesn't actually move into a more short-term or long-term storage. It's just in working memory. It's like it's there for a moment and then it goes away. And so, yeah, we talked last time, one of our big challenges was just to listen to people. And I, I would say I tried to implement that this last couple of weeks is when, especially when it comes to, you know, whether it's politics or religion or different things where people have very strong stances, um, it's very easy to get into a place where you want to give your point of view. And when you're talking to somebody, you're listening to what they're saying just enough where you catch like something where like, oh, I can refute that. And so you're just trying to either interject immediately or you're not listening to anything they say afterwards so that you can get to your point. Right. Yeah. The easiest way to see that in action is just to watch any cable news, whether it's CNN or Fox or CNBC. That is the epitome of terrible communication. Right. I mean, you see, it's we're in this kind of shouting culture, at right. least at least on there. Right. And I and we're not trying to talk about mending, you know, our, our country. But part of the issue that we do have and I see it is that we are unable to listen to each other. Yeah. Which is one of the beauties of podcasting and um, he, he talks later about like Oprah Winfrey as an example. And it kind of made me think of like Joe Rogan is podcasting. Joe Rogan is a master. At yeah, it, it, it opens up the ability to have long form discussions where when you listen to Joe Rogan, if you've ever listened to his podcast, um, there's times where he clearly doesn't agree with something somebody's saying or he's just he keeps an open mind. He's listening or at least from the outside, you would say like, OK, he seems to be keeping an open mind here. And he always mentions positives that people are saying, but he'll let somebody talk for 10 minutes straight ask a couple of questions and the whole time he's just letting the other person go and talk. And that's a really big and, and difficult skill to have. And he has all kinds of people on there. And one of my favorite lines that he used at one time I remember saying is, I want to believe what you're saying. Right. Cause so automatically, and he talks about this here, that person feels safe and secure, mm -hmm. right? Knowing that this person has an invested interest in what I'm saying. They may not agree with me. They may not believe me, but they are listening to me. And I heard that. I said, that's such a good line. It is. I'm yeah. using that all the time now. Nice. All right. Yeah. So talk so, to me. I see you got a quote there. What's what's the first thing that, that well, he got? says, you know, he's talking about, in, you know, the very first part is assumptions, blind hypothesis guide. And he says, good negotiators going in know they have to be ready for possible surprises. Great negotiators aim to use their skills to reveal the surprises they are certain exist. And I the reason I highlighted that is because when you're negotiating or when you're you know, whether it's at a garage sale or whether it's at, you know, you're trying to do some retail arbitrage or with your kids or your spouse or whoever it is, what you're trying to figure out is, okay, what, what does this person want? Right. And what are the surprises here? Right. Is there something that I'm not hearing? Right. right? I'm not seeing. Right. And that's what, that's the story he's going to go into here in a little bit. Yeah. And so this chapter, um, each chapter kind of seems to have like a specific, um, example that it uses like a high stake example and then multiple low stake examples of how it plays out in like the business world or in personal life. And the high stake example in this chapter is a bank robbery that happened. And, and when you watch movies and stuff, it just seems like this stuff probably happens all the time. But realistically, according to what he's saying here, like the city had not had anything like this in pretty much forever. Right. And so it's like, okay, this is, this is new territory for everybody. Right. The, the, you've got the, the police snipers out, you've got everybody surrounding the building. They're trying to figure out, you know, have this communication open. And he is one of the negotiators trying to talk the, the bad guys out of the building and, and, and resolve the situation. And he says here, and, and going along with that quote, you said in negotiation, each new psychological insight or additional piece of information revealed heralds a step forward and allows one to discard one hypothesis in favor of another. And so really, I, I boil this down to the idea that information is king, 
right? And if you go in with a, a, a preset of, of assumptions about the other person or what they want or their scenario and you're locked into that, you're going to be stuck. Mm-hmm. But if you go into it saying, I'm, I'm looking for information about this person I'm communicating with. What can I learn about them, right? I mean, I just think about it, silly things like when you're in a garage sale, you can tell by the types of stuff that's out, what they're into, what their interests are. Do they have kids? Where can you find some common ground? And each new piece of information you get, if you're a good negotiator, is going to adjust the way that you're negotiating because you take that information and now you have something else to work with. And you use that to find, use some tricks, use some of the, the tools in the book to get some more information. And then you switch gears again. And it's this constant moving forward in a progression, but you can't expect to get to the end right away and you're never going to get to the end if you stay stuck in a, this is what I know about the situation, and you never are willing to uh, adjust and change tactics. Well, and that's one of the things I wanted to share is that be encouraged in the fact that there is a way to do this, but understand that it takes time for everybody, right? I mean, when you're reading this, you're, you're reading Chris Voss, and you're going, wow, that's really good, but that takes time. Right. That is for him. It's probably not. Well, no, it, it's been natural for a long time. If, if this is something that hasn't been a part of your life or you've been somebody that's, you know, you know, let's say you've been reselling and and you've been pretty solitary most of the time in your business. Like this is something you're going to have to get out there. Right. You're going to have to practice this. And so but understand that it is completely doable. It's just it's going to take time. Yeah, yeah that's good. Um one of the things that he says here that I thought was interesting, and we've talked about this before, a uh, phrase we often say is, you don't know what you don't know. Um, <laughs> but he kind of says it a little differently. He says, it was a reminder to my colleagues and me that until you know what you're dealing with, you don't know what you're dealing with, right? And, and that, that seems like this obvious common sense phrase, but having that attitude of like, okay, I'm going into this and I'm going to be cognitive of, the, cognitive of the fact that I don't know everything about this situation, that I'm aware that there's things that I don't know. And my job, my very first job in negotiating is to gain as much intel as I can, is to learn those things, to listen well. And on the next part, he kind of says that it's really not that easy to listen well. And it's true, right? Like we we have a very difficult time in listening to others. And, and we kind of already talked about that a little bit. So I don't want to just go over that too much. But that just seems to be the case. Like, do you find that in your own life sometimes? Oh, 100%. I mean, it's we all want to be heard. Right. I, you know, <laughs> we do a podcast. We obviously like to hear ourselves speak. Right. I don't like to hear myself speak. Uh, it is true. Mike, Mike doesn't listen to our podcast after they record it. I, I listen to them in case anybody comments and I want to make sure I know what they're talking about. Cause sometimes, you know, on YouTube, people will put comments. And if you don't timestamp it, I go, what? I have no idea. Right. I have to rewatch like the podcast so I can reply back. But, you know, it's one of those things in, in our societies that, time like i feel like we're we're so much faster about things right and to listen to someone means you have to slow down Mm. right and i think about this black friday i was moving 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 and i didn't want to slow down right i felt that anytime i had to slow down and talk to someone that i was taken away like i was losing money which is true but you don't know what you don't know right and so i i can't you know, think about how many times I stopped at certain stores and, you know, I was pretty frustrated. You know, I, you know, there are long lines and you get upset and, you know, you can come off like a jerk because you're short with people. But, you know, some of these employees, if you just took the time to listen, they're really willing to help you out. Mm. Right. Because, you know, I remember this one 
this one lady I was talking to and, you know, I, I just kept having a conversation with her and I said, you know, you probably got to get back to work. I know it's really busy. Da, 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 da. And she goes, no, I'd rather talk to you and I'd rather help you because it's one of those things, you know, you go to the store and things are behind cages. Mm, right. Right. And I always feel bad. Like I'm a some personal shopper because not like you just want one. I'm like, I want that and I want that and I want that. Okay. Can you walk with me over here and walk with me over here? And, and she, she goes, I'd rather have you here talking to me than me just standing over there having to guide people the entire time. And I go, you know, I paid off because now then then I said, hey, uh, you know, if there's ever anything else that I should know, let me know. And then she goes, actually, let's go over here. These these things have just been clearanced out. And I'm like, oh, mm. you know what? I thought I was losing money by moving too fast. But the fact that I listened to her story and I listened to the fact that she was frustrated and she wasn't enjoying her time actually ended up paying off. Right. And I wasn't trying to be manipulative. I wasn't I was just. I cared about this individual because I saw the frustration. So again, it's 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 a really hard thing to do because you want to move, you want to move, but slowing down and just listening to people could end up being the advantage. Yeah, and here he's talking about, he basically says, you're listening, you're dealing with basically the, the schizophrenic in this situation. A person who is, who's, when they're in a situation like that, they're, they know they're pretty much caught. They're looking for a way out. They feel cornered. And we know, like like I said, this is the extreme. Usually when you're negotiating with somebody, it's not always in a place where they feel cornered. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's like they're they're trying to save their business. They're trying to whatever the situation is. But in this high stakes situation, when somebody feels cornered and they feel, you know, they, they're capable of doing anything, right? And you've got to diffuse that situation. He says here, um, make your soul an all-encompassing focus, the other person and what they have to say. Right. And he does that for two reasons. Like in the next chapter, he talks a lot about empathy. But in this chapter, the idea is gaining intel. When you can be quiet for a little bit and listen, they'll sometimes give away things that they don't intend to. Right. Whether it's through, you know, their their body positioning, whether it's through things they say, the tone they say things, because this specific bank robber, they could tell based off the things he was saying, he was frantic, but he was talking. He said, if you were just listening, it sounded like he was very calm and in control. But the reality was they could tell based off of things that he'd let slip and say that he was panicking, right? Mm -hmm. And that there was another person in there that, that he couldn't get on the phone with. And he was trying to make it seem like there were lots and lots of people involved in this bank robbery. Uh, there was actually only two inside. One of them was kind of there against, not against their will. They knew that he thought they were going to go rip off an ATM. He didn't realize it was going to be an armed robbery. And so this other guy is even more cornered and wants out, but but he doesn't feel like he's as much the bad guy. And But he can't like go against the main bad guy because... You know, he's the one in control. And so realizing that if you listen to the other person and you make your sole purpose listening to them, sometimes you're doing it not just out of a, a sense of, you know, you want to do what's right and you care about the other person genuinely. Sometimes that's the case. But sometimes you do that because you're trying to get information. You're trying to get intel. You're trying to see what will this person let slip? What will this person say? And if I'm very, very, very attentive because he was I mean, Chris Voss is a professional negotiator. But he said there wasn't just one person on the phone. He said there was a team of people listening in that on the phone. Pretty, that was pretty crazy. And, and other negotiators, because they would occasionally rotate out to a new negotiator. But they're all listening because what if one person catches something that somebody else didn't? He just said such and such. Or did you hear the way? And so there's all these people talking into Chris Voss's ear saying, we caught this. We heard this. We've Because one person alone can't catch everything. But you can certainly catch a lot more 
intel if you're willing to devote your time to listening. Because if you have points and arguments to make, typically those are things you already know. And it's true. You can walk away. from. I can't tell you how many times I've walked away from a debate. Like they said something, I had a perfect response, but then they moved on so quickly that I never got to that thing. And you can think like, oh man, like if I would have just been able to say that thing, but I forgot in the moment to say it. But 90% of the time, those things that you want to say, you're going to be able to get them into the conversation because you know those things by heart. You have those opinions, those beliefs, whatever it is. So if you take the time to listen to somebody else, you open up the door to finding the holes in their logic and argument and disarming them to an extent because they feel heard and appreciated. Well, it's kind of interesting you mentioned that because when I read on that, I I don't know if it's on the same page, but on page 28, he talks about, you know, that you're having arguments in your head, Mm. right? You're, You're already losing because you're arguing it out. So you're anticipating what that person is saying. And so you're automatically, instead of listening to that person, you're arguing in your own head and you're already losing. And that's that's so easy to do because you naturally want to be right. So you're already going to make that argument. So he says, for those people who view negotiation as a battle of arguments, it's the voices in their own head that are overwhelming them. When they're not talking, they're thinking about their arguments. And when they are talking, they are making their arguments. Mm. And <laughs> that's just, that just sounds bad, yep. right? But it, it's very true. I I can't think about, you know, there was this period of time when I was an administrator where we just had this season of things were just not getting done. Um, I mean, I had shared with you, was it was it with you we were talking about, you know, how I loved meetings because mm. I felt safe because I didn't have to deal with the outside with the outside world. Was it with you? And, yeah, yep. and, and you're, you and the other person, this is, I think it was a, your son's birthday and you were saying, well, meetings are such a waste of time, right? Because nothing gets done or something to that effect. And my argument was, well, things get done. It just matters if people in the room are willing to listen to each other. Right. Right. And I, I'll, I'll never forget. There was this period of time where it was me and this other guy and we constantly, I think he had arguments in his head and I had arguments in my head about how we were going to win this. And, and I'll share later on how this escalated to a level where really nothing got done and meetings got canceled, but it got to a place where I just was not willing to listen and nothing got accomplished. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the benefit here is, I mean, the common phrase, like be the bigger person. Um, but, but realistically, if you know that you struggle with this, cause we all do, right. The other person does too. So what if you just let the other person go run the course, say the things they have to say, say everything they have to say, listen patiently, acknowledge points they make, but listen. And then you could start to give your points afterwards. And the reality is if they keep cutting you off and never let you after you've listened to everything they say, and they just keep repeating the same thing over and over, then I don't know if you're going to win in that. You're going to have to employ some different techniques that's used later in the book. But realistically, I feel like people will walk away from that feeling terrible, right? Like if they they know, hey, this person gave me a solid 10 minutes to just unload everything on my side and they listened patiently, they repeated some things back to me. That's kind of part of being the mirror, which we'll talk about is, is... listening to what they say, repeat parts of it back to them so that they recognize like, okay, like they, they do understand or am I, do I understand that you're saying this and then listen. And then once they've said all that, then you can go back and give your counter arguments. And if they don't let you do that, then I mean, it's, it'll be pretty obvious to everyone like, Hey, this person was patient. They listened and now it's your turn. Right. And so that can sometimes just that alone will work, right? It'll be more productive if you let the other person go and then you give your points knowing that 
hey, if they're not listening to my points because they're so focused, then at least they're not picking up my tails, my tails, like my poker, whatever face. And if I'm listening and gathering intel and I can leave a negotiating meeting with more stuff in my pocket about what I know about them, what moves them, what drives them, what motivates them that I can use in the future, and they walk away with no intel on you, that's a win, right? Especially when you're talking about certain types of negotiations. So I think that's great. Um, but here's the, here's the other part. I, I think he doesn't use the word here, but you got to be careful not to walk into judgment, right? In the sense that in here, right, we you said earlier, the, ba- the they ended up having a bank robbery and you had all these bad guys inside, right? And so we automatically jumped to that all these bank robbers were all intending, that all of them were bank robbers, that they all knew what they were doing, right? And Chris Voss, right, he makes the argument that that actually wasn't the right way to approach it, right? Because he says later on, on page 29, he says they were caught up in a bad situation they didn't see coming. And in the end, it was disconnect among the hostage takers that helped us drive a wedge between them and put an end to the stalemate, Mm. right? So later on, he talks about how one of the guys didn't even want to be there, Mm. right? And I I think we, we need to be careful when talking to people that we automatically assume certain things about individuals, right? Right. So anyways, we'll get into that a little bit, but I, I think that's where we're leaning towards here. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, he talked about um, the police department when he first got there was was trying to do the negotiating. And he said he wasn't doing a terrible job. He was using the techniques that they knew at the time. And he basically says it's a making stuff up, a half sort of sales approach, basically trying to persuade, coerce, or manipulate in any way possible. The problem was we were in too much of a hurry, driving too hard toward a quick solution, trying to be a problem solver and not a people mover. And I think if you think about problems in that way, like, there's the problem you're trying to solve. And if you're just quickly trying to solve that problem as opposed to how can I how can I change this person or move this person, that takes more time, right? That it, it's more difficult to understand somebody well, to to frame arguments or to um, move a conversation in a way that's going to be a benefit gain for you. Because remember, the whole idea of never split the difference is not the typical approach that some people think of like, let's make sure this is a win-win. Because in these situations, these high stakes situations, like you said, we, we talked about it in the yeah. first level overview. You can't say like, hey, just give us half the hostages and then we'll give you half the money and we'll call it a day. Like everybody win win. Right. Like it doesn't work that way. Like you have to you have to get absolutely everything. You win. You have to win. It's like, such a I, you, I don't know. This is what I struggled with was. I would say up until this point, this book for me. I always believe that if everyone wins, you're all winning. Mm. Right. Which is. There's times that that does apply, but in negotiation, right, you're trying to get the person to collaborate so you win it all, right? Which this is, that's huge. Yeah, and and of course, th- that's not to say like there's not situations where things, a good business contract, a good business deal that you make is going to be mutually exclusive or mutually beneficial, right? Oftentimes, like we're not saying like you should go in with the intent of ripping people off, but the idea no, is. True. You have to, you have certain things you need to get. And so if you walk away from that negotiation without those things, then in some ways you've lost. So the idea isn't to make sure that they lose because it's not always a zero sum game, right? So it's not like they have to lose, but you need to make sure that you win on the things you need to get. Because if you need a certain margin in order to make profits, if you need a certain raise, if you need certain benefits at your work in order to, to have the insurance, whatever it is, there's certain things you can't budge on. And so you have to negotiate in a way that's, these are my non-negotiables. I'm going to get to this place and I'm going to employ the techniques that it's going to take to actually get there. And one of those is listening and one of them is slowing down, right? In this situation, he's talking about don't try to go so fast. 
Um, sometimes it's a rush, right? There's like a, a deadline on things, but oftentimes if you can kind of slow down, take it a little slower, then you might get those pieces of information. Like he ends up talking about getting information about this person um, because they they because they were able to keep him talking so long, they were able to have time to do a search on all the vehicles in the in the surrounding area, mm-hmm. and they found one that they couldn't identify who the owner was, and they did a search on that, and they were able to find out like oh it's this person, which may have been the getaway driver or maybe the person who owns it. And so then by buying time, they now had more to work with. And so sometimes in negotiating, it's a slowdown method that you need to know. You need to slow it down and you need to really sometimes just get that intel. And it made me think about probably one of the biggest deals in reselling that I've ever had. You know, he has mentioned on page 30, going too fast is one of the mistakes all negotiators are prone to making. If we're too much in a hurry, people feel as if they're not being heard and we risk undermining the rapport and trust we've built. And I've shared this on the podcast maybe two, maybe twice, maybe a little bit more. But probably the the earliest on biggest deal I ever had was this huge Harley haul. It, I mean, we're talking about, I don't know, maybe 300 plus shirts, you know, I don't know, multiple pairs of jeans, memorabilia and that. And so, so here's what happened. So I'm at a garage sale. I, it was a garage slash estate sale, and I show up and, you know, you know how it is. You're trying to move fast, right? You know, we've <laughs> talked about this, like time is money, right? right. You got to get moving. But this time it was different. And I'll never forget. I walk up and I've shared this before. And, you know, I really didn't know Harley stuff that much, right? I kind of knew there was some money. I mean, this is back in the day. <laughs> and... I went and I, you know, I opened one bag and there was Harley shirts. I opened another bag. There's Harley shirts. I opened another bag. I'm like, what? What is this? Right. I knew I was onto something. Had it been Orlando now, I would have known I, I struck like the mother load. Right. But back then I didn't know. And so I remember I was going up to, to, to you know, the lady and I call her Harley lady. And I, unfortunately, she she's moved to another part of the country. But and I say unfortunately, because we actually became friends. That's what's crazy about all this is that. You know, I had asked her, you know, how much do you want for these? And and she had said, you know, I actually I'm looking to get, you know, ten dollars a piece. And I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know if I could do ten dollars. Can can we go a little bit lower? You know, we're doing the whole haggling thing. And I said and I stopped because I'm like, this isn't her stuff. Mm. Like, you know, she's she's not worrying all this. Right. So what what is this about? And I had asked her, I said, hey, you know, so where'd you get all this stuff? Like I slow down. Right. And. Because I was just interested. I wasn't in full reseller mode because I wasn't reselling full time. I wasn't, you know, this is just the beginnings of my eBay. And I said, you know, where is this? You got a lot of Harley stuff. And and she had shared with me that her husband had recently passed away a year ago. And and she had this stuff for a long time. I said, oh. And I said, and again, I'm not attempting to apply any tactics from the book or anything. I just genuinely cared about this person because that's rough. You know, losing someone you love for so long. And so I'd asked her and I said, wow, so, you know, was he into, I'm guessing he was into motorcycles and, and Harley Davidson. She said, oh, yeah, he loved it. And, you know, this is, we talk about the information that you don't know. And she goes, actually, there's a whole nother shed over there of all his stuff. I was like, what? You know, in my head, I'm like, oh, wow. And I, again, my capital was so small. Like I had maybe $800 of capital. I didn't have a lot of capital. I don't even think I had 800 I had 200 and. $50. And I remember I spent it all that day. And I said, Oh, wow. I said, 
that's that's cool. She goes, yeah, you know what? Uh, come by next week. Uh, you know, there's more that I'm going to be releasing. You can check it out. And so I remember every time we went there, you know, she shared with me the memories about, you know, this motorcycle. And then there's this whole other hunting side to her husband. And then there was this other side. And then she had shared about memories here. And, and so over time, you know, the fact that I had been willing to slow down, you know, she eventually got to the point that she said, hey, you know what? Can you help me out in my estate tale? And I'll give you first dibs on whatever's here. I'm like, you know, this was not intentional. So had I gone in there with like, you know, okay, you know what? I can only do this. And she had said, well, I can only do this. And we haggled and I just bought myself and left. That's it. Mm. And I will tell you that deal. I want to say at the least, at the least close to 20 K in profit mm. at the least. I don't know. I, I kind of lost track. It got to this point where my entire store was all Harley stuff. And I probably have a few pieces still remaining from that. But again, you know, undermining the rapport and trust that you've built, right? So I made sure that, and not because of the strategy, but I, every time I was there, I already built a trust. And so there was stuff that she had, she even began to teach me about antiques and about different items. And a lot of the knowledge I know now as a reseller was from her. So again, wow. you, you, you don't know. Yeah. Right. You, you look, you're looking for those surprises. You're looking for those areas that you don't understand and slowing down and mirroring and trying to hear people out will have unintended consequences, which usually will end up benefiting you. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that's great. I think that kind of just proves a lot of what we're talking about here, you know, just just being willing to open up and listen. Um, and again, it doesn't show because like, this is the extreme examples of, of a bank robber. Right. But the it works in the non it works probably in some ways better in like just the day-to-day conversations. Mm-hmm. Somebody feels heard and they're not like in a flight or flight m- mode, you're going to be able to build even deeper, meaningful relationships mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I like the next part. It talks about the voice. And we, we mentioned this briefly on our last one. We talked about the, uh, the late night FM DJ voice. FM DJ. Um, but he, he makes a couple claims here that I saw was interesting. He says, when deliberating on a negotiating strategy or approach, people tend to focus on all their energies on what to say or do but it's how we are, our general demeanor and delivery that is both the easiest thing to enact and the most immediately effective mode of influences. He goes on to say, when we radiate warmth and acceptance, conversations just seem to flow. And although he uses in this chapter, because it was the the situation called for that that late night FM DJ voice, um, he says that more often than not, our default position should be a kind of playful, fun voice. Mm -hmm. It should just be this like, just kind of happy, playful. And honestly, Orlando, I just want to like compliment you. That's one thing that you're really good at. I mean, I've seen it multiple times when we've been out and about. I mean, you're a good people person. You connect with people easily when you're talking. And that's one thing you're really good at is when you talk to people, you have a smile on your face, you're chatting, you're able to do the small chat thing well in the sense that you, you, even when you walk up to a garage sale, it's like, Hey, good morning. How are things going? And you might, you know, I don't think you drink coffee, but someone's drinking coffee and you might make a comment like, Oh man, I know it's so early. You got to get that coffee. You know what I mean? And you just have, when you have that playful fun, you automatically disarm people. I feel like a lot of times I watch resellers come up and they come up almost so aggressively and they're digging through things. And, and I've, I've watched it like, and we'll talk about it in the next chapter a little bit more in depth. But I mean, I was at one, one, uh, like it was like a church sale thing and there's people just digging through stuff and they're going crazy. And like the lady's trying to like help them and they're, and like, after they're all leaving, I kind of am like, ask, I need help too. But I'm able to do it in a way where it's like, man, it's hectic in here. Like, I'm surprised you're able to handle it. And you just kind of like strike up a conversation. If you can make them laugh about the situation too, then immediately 
they're more on your side. They're more willing to help you. They'll give you a bigger back. They'll get, you know, whatever the situation is. And so I think, I think just if you could take nothing else out of this chapter, well, I mean, listening is, is probably the key, but having that playful, fun voice. And I worked at a, a call center. I managed a call center for a while. And that was one thing that my best dispatchers did and my worst dispatchers couldn't figure out is when you smile on the phone, my wife is great at this. When she talks to people on the phone, she's got a big smile. It makes a huge difference because you can hear a smile over the phone. Mm -hmm. I mean, just try it. Like if you're talking to somebody over the phone, smile while you're talking to them. Like I'm doing it right now. And like your voice changes, right? It's like you automatically get happier and like things and people, if you're not condescending, right? Like, cause then there's the too far where it's like fake. But if you're mm -hmm. genuinely have a smile and you're happy, people hear it. And that part of the mirroring, which we're going to get to in just a moment, is that people are instinctively willing to mimic what they're what they're hearing and seeing. If somebody comes towards you very aggressively, if you're in customer service, you know how this is. It takes everything within you the whole time you're like holding back like, OK, I'll help you. But usually there's you're not happy about helping that person. You're like frustrated. You're trying to get the situation resolved. And somebody's smiling and they're happy, even if you're flustered in a situation you're going to naturally start to mirror what the other person is doing. So if somebody comes towards you aggressively, your heart rate goes up, you start to get aggressive. Those, you know, the amygdala and all those parts in your brain that are like the fear responses start to, to trigger as opposed to if somebody has a smile on their face, it's much harder. And so like even in interviews, like I just, this is one tip that I would suggest, like when you're in an interview, like beam happiness, right? You because, have to, you have to. Because the, the way you do that is going to make somebody say like, I want this person like, People are going to remember how they felt when they were talking to you a lot more than they're going to remember the specific things mm -hmm. you said. And so if you can make somebody feel like, man, like that person really like maybe they don't have all the experience we're looking for, but like they were just like a pleasure to be around. And they might not say that out loud. They might not even be able to identify it, but they're going to feel it. They're going to they're going to leave that that meeting feeling better. And the other meeting, they might be like, well, that person had some experience, but I just have this. And I don't know. I like I like I really like this person. Right. Like. Sometimes people can't even articulate why they like certain people or certain things. And oftentimes it is, are they smiling? Are they able to, to show warmth and, and gratitude and all of those things? You could tell a lot about somebody by that. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Agreed. And I want to say a couple of things. First of all, thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. I will say that came through a lot of failure. Uh, you know, when I was in when I was an administrator, actually, I was actually worse when I was a teacher. When I was a teacher, I was a no nonsense mm -hmm. kind of guy. And so I had so many failed parent meetings in my early days because I came in there to hear the facts. Here's why your student's failing. Mm -hmm. This is what they need to do. Oof. Right. And so so, you know, you learn right away. Now, that was I would say after year five, the first few years, I was scared and timid. So it's kind of like whatever you say, OK, we'll do right. And then after a while, you know, you, you gain experience in something and you, you know what you're doing and you feel like you do. And so you automatically you have this ego. At least I did. I had this ego and saying, OK, they're going to come at me. I'm just going to lay out the facts and that's it. Mm. Right. And then I learned after a while that, how, you know, you automatically cause people to put their arms up, like not the arms up, but their armor on. Mm. Right. They're already defensive from day one. But if you go in there and they feel that you genuinely care about them. And, and, you know, I'm not I'm not talking to teachers, but I'm talking to anybody. If you if you if you get this set, if people get the sense that you are interested in them and I'm not saying be fake, like don't don't make up stuff. You know what I mean? I, I've, I've seen charlatans mm. and you can spot a charlatan, you know, super far away. But, you know, 
I, I talk about garage sales, like, you know, you had mentioned, like, it's time to get your coffee. I never say I should have gotten some coffee, mm-hmm. right? I just, I know the person needs coffee, so I'm genuine about it. Like, it looks like you needed some coffee. I don't say it looks like you need some coffee. That's more of an insult. Yeah. That wouldn't go so well. No. <laughs> but, uh, you know, coffee would help you, whatever it is. But what I'm trying to say is you got to try it because the, the worst moments I've ever had as a teacher and as an administrator, as a reseller, has been when I'm not smiling. When I when things get really tense and they get really serious, you're gonna lose. Mm. And I agree with the aggressive resellers; they lose. Mm-hmm. I and that at least you know maybe somebody will comment that they disagree. But the worst is is this: is when somebody sees something, right? Let's say it's this highlighter, right? Those of you listening to the podcast, I put a highlighter in front of me, and they go, "It's a beautiful orange highlighter." It's a it's beautiful. It's bright, but you know they'll come to us and they go, "This is scratch. I mean, this looks like junk. Mm. Five bucks." That's the worst, the worst negotiation. I've seen people do that, and and sometimes they win because usually the people that they end up winning over are people that are, I would say, they don't care or they don't have they don't have anything to lose. You know what I mean? But the people that really care about stuff, like you don't attack mm. stuff. You know, and I that's one of the worst negotiation techniques. I hundred percent believe is when you try to try to downgrade things in front of people. But if you feel like people know you care and you smile, man, it goes a long way. Um, I, I, I want to go back to Black Friday. And this is actually more in chapter three, mm-hmm. but I want to bring it up here is that, you know, when you approach people and they, they ask you, how are you doing? And you go fine and you walk on, you should stop. Mm-hmm. Right. And he talks about this, but it catches people off guard when you go, how are you doing? How have things been? It totally diffuses everything, mm. right? Because, you know, sometimes people are just doing this because it's their job, mm. right? They, they, and when you actually throw it back at them, it kind of goes, whoa, like you really care about, you know, and maybe you don't, but just even asking the question takes it to that next level. Yeah. So no, that's good. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, I think that's great. Um, and, and I don't want to spend tons of time on the late night DJ voice. Cause he even explains like that is not, that's, that's not, the most frequent most of the time it's that playful mm-hmm. fun voice mm-hmm. but just just so that's in your arsenal the idea is like a big part of it is the inflection now, i've tried to be very conscious about this uh over the last couple of months i've i've listened to one podcast where a guy was talking about that like a way we can be weak in our speech is by ending things like it's a question right like even when we're saying something we kind of like inflect up like it's like mm-hmm. we're not sure and what we're doing is we're making our statements we're making the way the things we're trying to say weaker and i catch myself doing that even when i'm teaching when i'm trying to like explain something or i'm talking to someone directly or i'm talking to one of my administrators or whatever it is that sometimes natural default um and and different like areas is interesting the podcast i was listening to is talking about like different areas do it differently like some some like geographical locations they, they they'll end it with like literally saying like right or they'll say th- like different places have different ways of doing it but it's a common thing and it's and in some ways it's it's a a lack of of i guess confidence mm-hmm. right and that shows and so the idea of the late night dj voice is instead of inflecting up at the end is to inflect out and to kind of when you say something it's like this is i'm stating this as a fact um, this isn't this isn't up for debate, right? Like, um, we I'm sorry, we we don't work for hire, right? It's like one of the things that he uses as an example uh, it, when you're doing with like a business contract. Like, you might laugh like somebody offers you something, and you're like, oh, no, uh, we we don't work for hire. It's not like, um, you know, we don't we don't work for hire, like, because then it's kind of up in the air, and then like the discussion keeps going. You just it's plain and simple. I'm stating it like a fact, and then we're moving on, and that 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 sense of authority. And so uh, I would just say maybe be conscious of that in your own 
speaking is how often just just watch yourself how often do you end something with like a right or a um don't you think or you know right like a lot of times people will say stuff and they kind of end it like thinking like i'm leaving it in their court but what they're really doing is saying i'm gonna let you make the decision i'm not confident in what i'm saying instead of just saying it as a fact right so i, I think that's just something to be keep in mind of is is your default voice should be the playful friendly voice he even talks about sometimes you need to have like the demanding voice like there's it's it's more than the FMDJ. It's like this is you're doing this now, hands up on the ground, right? Like when a police officer is having to do that, mm-hmm. it's different because like at this point we're in a different situation. But that's those are the so rare that we would have to do in our day to day life. Maybe when you're talking to a kid, don't touch that, right? Because it's hot. They're gonna burn themselves. But oftentimes the fun, playful voice is more effective, or just a calm, like I'm stating this as a fact. We don't. I, I, I've been trying to do this with my son, like. When you start screaming in the house, instead of like yelling back, not to scream, that doesn't seem very productive is to say like, we don't use that voice in the house. Like we're just, we, we, we talk quietly when we're in the house, right? Like he, we, I'm just saying it. It's a fact we're moving on. Right. And so just think about in your own life, how often do you end things with like the question and you, you're not really clear with what it is you're saying? Well, a couple of things I wanted to add to that first, well, not a couple of things, three things. First, I want to read that quote because I think it's such a great quote. On page 34, he says, it's the same voice I might use in a contract negotiation. When an item isn't up for discussion, if I see a work for hire clause, for example, I might say, we don't do work for hire. Just like that. Plain, simple, and friendly. I don't offer up an alternative because it won't beg for the discussion. So I just make a straightforward declaration. Hmm. Right? And I think of the example of getting pulled over. When you get pulled over and the officer gives you a ticket, he's not saying, well, I'm going to cite you for this. It's more of, I'm citing you for da-da-da-da, here's your ticket. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it, there's closure. There is no, this is up for debate. Mm-hmm. Now, you can maybe open that up. I, you know, That's up to you. I've only gotten out of a few tickets. But the, the, the idea is, is that your tonality matters, mm-hmm. right? So, and, it, and it cuts both ways, right? So if, if you're having a discussion and you don't agree with somebody, you would go, right. Right. If you do agree with somebody, you're like, right. Right. The tonality matters. And I'll never forget when I negotiated salaries year after year, uh, there was never a year I was paid less. Mm. And, and I, I, you know, and those that negotiated with me may disagree, but I always felt that I had that closure. When, when somebody gave me a number that was lower than I was willing to go, I always ended with, I appreciate that, but I cannot go any lower than this. And, and, and my tone just went down and deep every single time. And so from then, I just went up. Mm. Right. So it, it's something, you know, whether you're negotiating a contract, wh- whether, you know, you're at the garage sale or whether you're <laughs> a, a seller, you know, on eBay, even through messages, I know tone, it's weird to think about tone coming through. But if you're very clear, like, this is the lowest I can go and you end it at that you got to mean what you say and you got to keep it there or else you're, you're, you're going to lose. So closure is key in your tonality. Yep. I think that's good. Um, next part goes <laughs> on to mirroring, right? So, um, and, and we've talked about this a little bit and, and just, I, so I don't want to go over all of it um, in, in, in as much detail, but just the idea of, of you're going to mimic what other people are doing. Um, and I had a friend when I was in college, um, it was actually, I was going through this law enforcement program. Um, and so, I was at the time 18 and this guy was his like early thirties. Right. So to me, it was like this old guy, you know what I mean? But, um, 
But one thing that I really appreciated him is two parts of the mirroring that he did. Um, the one part is when you would have a conversation with him, he would always have an air of like the friendliness, right? Like he'd lean forward when he was talking to you. Uh, he, he would nod when you were talking, right? Like, and so like you felt understood and heard and you'd, I'd catch myself mirroring what he was doing. And if, if, if I was saying things that he kind of didn't like the conversation going down or whatever, he'd kind of sit back a little bit and like kind of get a more contemplative look. And I would notice myself like kind of contemplating what I was saying more just because I was actually mimicking what he was doing. I, I would sit back and I would think and I'd be like, okay, well, maybe the, what I said didn't really make sense. You know what mm -hmm, I mean? Mm -hmm. And so he was a master of that. And I don't think he was like, you know, trying to manipulate anybody, but he was just really good at this. He was a good people person. And one of the things that I took more than anything that he did, part of the mirroring was he would always repeat back part of what I would say. All right. So I would say like, yeah, I need to uh, do this part of the project. So would you do this part? And then so he would say, okay, so you're going to do this part and then you would like me to do this and this. And he would make me like, yes. Right. And so I always went away from that saying like, okay, he understood what I was asking. And, and I've tried that a few times. There's been times when conversations where I don't clarify, somebody says like, I need you to send this email and do this and do this. And then I started to do it. And I'm like, man, like, was I supposed to do it like this or like this? But if you can repeat back to the person. So what I'm hearing is you would like me to do this and this. And, and of course you don't, repeat the entire conversation, but like the key points, right? Pick two or three things. And that's what he talks about. Like pick one or two of the highlights, the important parts that somebody says, repeat those things back to them. That does two things. One, it makes sure that they, they feel heard and understood. And the other thing that that does, that's really important is it brings clarity, right? Like now I know for sure what it is I'm expecting to do. And this can work sometimes too, even when you're in one of those like big debates on, on an issue, a political issue or whatever it is, you're having a conversation and then you repeat back. So what I'm hearing you say is, and then you say, and then they can clarify. They could say, no, no, no. What I actually meant was, because maybe they misspoke, maybe you misheard, or sometimes when you say it back to them and they hear it coming out of your mouth and it's not coming out of theirs, it's like, oh, yeah, that is a little weird, right? So so I think that's a, a, a pretty interesting skill to use. So just try to do that mirroring. When, when something is going well or you want something to go well, lean forward. Um, I mean, you know, some meetings where people are like very stiff and rigid and then others were like, if the boss comes in and he kind of throws his leg up a little bit and like leans back and is having, everybody does. If you watch in a room, if, if the main guy is doing that, everybody's a little bit more relaxed. If the main guy is really tense, everybody's very tense, right? So use that to your advantage. In what ways can you bring a situation into a more calm, right? Like I think when parents come into parent meetings, right? If I'm, if I'm happy and I sit down and it's like, Oh, sit right here. And, and it's not like you sit on this side of the desk and me sit on this side of the desk. If I can kind of get comfortable and relaxed, they're going to mirror it. Right. Yeah. Skilled communicators have that down. Okay. All right. So I don't think we're going to get through to chapter three. I'm just being real. Like th this is how good this book is. But a couple of things out. Excuse me. Here's some more I want to share. The example about the waitress. Mm. Is that what he calls it? Or yep. the server yep. or, or waiters or whatever the yep. word is using. It's so good because they said that servers, when they repeat back an order, they're more likely to get more tips than if they're ever to say great, super, or, or just touch mm -hmm. the other person on the arm. Yep. And I'm like, that's so true. Yep. One of the things I cannot stand is when I order food with my kids and the person does not repeat back. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't feel that safety. I don't feel that security. And then when it gets, it gets it, when they get it to me incorrectly, it's even worse. Yeah, it like validates what you're feeling. Yeah, so it's to me, it's a perfect example of mirroring. The other one is, and you had mentioned is context. And I, you know, skilled communicators do this. I'm like, I just, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like I throw in Gary Vee in pretty much every 
Yeah, Absolutely. he's your boy. But but he's skilled. So if you watch, you ever watch him and when he does these, he's walking on the street and somebody stops him. If it's a if it's a high schooler or a young person, he automatically gets to their level in the communication. Yep. Right. If it's a professor, right, or if it's somebody in the business world, he matches that. Right. He's mm. still himself, but he matches that context. That's right. Good. Yeah. And so if you notice that with communicators, it's the same way when it's, it applies to garage sales or retail arbitrage or, you know, whoever it may be, right? You context 100% matters. Yeah. And and I want to be clear that when Mike and I share this, we're not speaking on any of our own authority. Yeah, there are some things we're good at, but we're speaking on the authority of the author of the book, yeah. right? Because I don't want to ever come across like, hey, we know what we're talking about. This is what you should do. No, this is what the book is saying. Yeah. So I want to be and clear And it's coming from a, a much higher place of authority and experience even than us. But but again, like I'm sure even all of our listeners can point to areas in their life where they can improve on this or people that they know who are really good at those things. Going back to like bosses, right? Um, and, and it's a little different when you're dealing with uh, at a school where the principal is the boss, not only of teachers and staff, but also of the kids, right? And so a really good principal, and I've I've had really good ones. I've had ones that aren't so great. And when you're dealing with that, hopefully you had a good vice principal. I did, yeah. <laughs> um, but but just like you said, like with Gary V, a really good principal, the kids love because he can get to their level and not not act in a way that's degrading to his position. Agreed. But like have a conversation with him and like do the fist bump, joke about the things that they like and are interested in, talk about things in a way that's not above their head, and then have a conversation with. Uh, a faculty member and and the faculty member feels like they're on the exact same level. They don't feel like, hey, this person is like, is just bossing me around and then talk to like a board member and then be that like really high up and 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 they can adjust based off of the situation. And so situational awareness is really important and mirroring goes both ways, right? So you want to mirror, you're going to naturally mirror some of the things other people are doing. The good parts of that is like repeating things back. You know, that's a good mm -hmm, way to do mm -hmm. it. And if they're really concerned about something, like if somebody says like something happens and you could tell this is really like harsh for them and or a, a difficult situation, then like, oh man. And then like repeat back, like, I can't believe that that happened. Like genuinely like mirror their when they're frustrated. Because if you're still at the playful smiley voice and they're talking about something that's difficult, you're not mirroring well. But then the positive thing is if they're being very negative and it's a, a difficult situation, you can get to that level, but then mirror, have them mirror you back towards positive. So it's like, okay, I need to, deflect them back to this like oh man that's so terrible at least the and then you could talk about the good start talking about good things right and then you're moving them back towards uh, you know an area where you want them whether it's to be positive or to be thinking and, and so being able to do that is is not something that comes naturally it's something that some people are better at naturally than others but i think it's something that everybody has to practice and so yeah thinking about that in your own life how can you how can you mirror others cuz the worst types of bosses are the ones that when they're talking to you know an employee they they don't change their their tonality. They don't change the, their their attitude, and the employee feels like this person is like above me, you know. Mm -hmm. Instead of like this person is on my level, and so without necessarily like they've degraded their position, and that's a difficult thing to do. And, and you got to understand, ultimately, it's on you, mm -hmm. right? No matter how terrible the boss is, it's on you, right? And I'll, I'll give you an example. I had I, I worked under two. <laughs> two different administrators and Mike, I think will know exactly what I'm talking about. But there was one that with every meeting I had with this individual, it usually went long, but they, they more were interested in my personal life and how my life was going. Right. And so 
if I was willing to be open about that and, and discuss that, we, we could eventually get to the agenda and get things done. The other one came from a business world and it was very much like, I want the white paper with the five points and I don't want you to talk about anything else. And I want this meeting to be done in 15 minutes, period. If you don't have those done, then we're not talking about it, right? <clears throat> and I learned to mirror both of these leadership styles, right? So that's something you have to understand. And, and you you can't take offense. You you can't take it personal. Yes, emotions, we'll talk about emotions later on in the book. They they are a driving force. Tactical empathy is important, but mirroring the form of communication is very key in getting things done and getting the other person to collaborate. That's good. Wow. Yeah. I like that you so mentioned much. the tip thing um, with the waitress and waiters. That's, that's, I, that makes such a something we can all relate to um, because there is the aspect is you can go too far in any direction, right? You can go too mm -hmm. far in the happiness. There's, there's sometimes where waiters or waitresses are over the top. They're almost too friendly to whatever. And, and you're just like, just leave me alone. I want to eat. And then there's the ones that are never around. You have to mirror yeah, the what best, that person wants. The best, the best ones are the ones you're like, man, I, I mean, I, I, this happened to me a few weeks ago. I left a restaurant and it was like, we all ate differently. Like we had separate checks and we all left. And we're like, man, I left a really good tip because that waiter was great. And somebody was like, yeah, I know they were so good. And, and realistically, it was because they were there the right amount of time. They understood, they read our table, right? They knew how to repeat back things. They knew when they needed to, to be there and, and, and provide. And they knew when it was time to be away. And part of that is being able to read and, and to mirror and to recognize like, hey, this person is a little more friendly and they want to joke about their food. When I'm giving my order, I don't want to joke about my food. I just want to give you my, you know, here's my order. Feed it back to me. Like, thank you so much, right? Like, so a good person is able to do both, right? Like sometimes in, in a conversation with two different people, you act, you have to act differently depending on who you're talking to. So I think that was great. Um, I love when the guy finally does come out of the, um, of the bank here just to show how much uh, Chris Voss's techniques worked with the mirroring, um, with the late night DJ voice. Well, let's rewind a little bit. Sure. What led what led to that though? Do you remember? So he's he's talking, and the guy never wanted to be on the phone, right? He also he, he like put a sweater over the the receiver, right? When he talked, uh, that was. Am I confusing stories? That was the other guy. Okay. Yeah. So there's two guys in the. Yeah, bank. two two guys, right? But the guy that eventually was the guy that he was able to use to drive the wedge, mm -hmm. right? He was able to mirror. Right. What the guy was feeling mm -hmm. that the guy didn't want that he ended up in a situation that he he didn't want to be in. Right. And eventually. Right. He uses that to his advantage. Right. right? And so, OK, so go on. Yeah. And I was going to say when the main when the main um, villain of the story, right, when the main bank robber finally does come out and they get him in the handcuffs, the first thing he says is, where's Chris? Right. I want to talk to Chris. Yeah, it's huge. That just goes to show that like what he was doing, he 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 never said like Chris Voss in this situation, he never played the guy's friend, right? Like he was never, he was never cruel or mean to the guy, but he said the things he like, here's what we can do. Here's what we can't, you're going to have to let them go. We're, we're here. Like you're not going to, you're not getting away. Like he was calm. He said all the things he needed to say. Um, but the person, by the time he was done, wanted to talk to him, not because he made some deal. It wasn't like Chris is like, all right, once you get out, like we're going to offer you this much time off and this, there was nothing like that, but he had developed a relationship. He had, he felt trust and he was never going to leave that building unless that trust was there. Right. Even though that trust is I'm going to jail. Like I know that, but I don't feel like Chris is my enemy. Right. And we talked about that with like the good cop, bad cop. And I do think um, it's a more brutish way of doing things, but it is in some ways it can be effective. Have the person who's really nice. And then the person that's really mean. And then when one person is aggressively mean, then it makes the person who's nice's job a little easier. 
But this was like, I'm not even trying to befriend you, but like, I'm not your enemy, right? I'm not, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not going to hurt you, but I'm also not your friend and that this is just the way it is. And in that situation, sometimes that's where you have to be. I think, um, it was it in this chapter where it talked about like the pit bulls. Cause I know you wanted, mm-hmm. you had something you wanted to mention about that for sure. Well, he had mentioned, you know, it, it, on page 44, as we're getting to the end of the chapter, how to confront and get your way without confrontation. Right. And he, he, he brings about like five points, right? If you take a pit bull approach with another pit bull, you generally end up with a messy scene and lots of bruise feelings and resentment. And I have the perfect example for this one. And then we'll talk about it. So I'll never forget being in this board meeting. It wasn't a board meeting. It was a, it was a meeting. And uh, I was a pit bull. The other person was a pit bull in the room. And there were four other people that weren't pit, bull, pit, weren't pit bulls. And the main person, the one that was in charge of all of us, was definitely, he was like a nice, kind, teddy bear, like loved you kind of guy. And I'll never forget, I had probably 30 pages of like resources and articles and content that supported my view, right? The other person had their aggressive demeanor, like just like, right? But we're both pit bulls in our own perspective, in our own respective ways. And so what ended up happening was that other persons, you know, top of their lungs talking about why I'm wrong and why they're right. And I, what I, what do I do? I grab this stack and I just like slam it and go, why don't you read all this? Right. This is more powerful than anything you will ever say. And it just went on and on and on. (laughs) What ended up happening is, you know, one of the individuals got up slam the door open this is the person that you would never imagine doing this and just stormed out we're done nothing got resolved in that meeting absolutely nothing and actually i mean i still won because the topic never ended up coming to fruition which i was trying to stop so you know i'll take the i'll take the win i, I didn't split the difference on that one but in the end it did cause a lot of bruised feelings and resentment. You kind of just filibustered it is really what you did. You just <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty much. I pretty much. But here's the thing. I wish I could have replayed all that mm. because because in the end, it, you know, he talks about bruised feelings and resentment mm. and that stuff never went away. No, it just didn't, you know, until this day, it hasn't gone away, you know? And, and so it's one of those things, you know, and then he talks about, Luckily, there's another way with all the all the mess. Use the late night FM DJ voice. Wish I had done that, mm. right? I, I should have. My tonality was should have been, you know, clear on the things I wasn't willing to negotiate, and I should have been, you know, clear and not not playful. But I didn't need to be so over the top on things, mm. right? The other one start with I'm sorry, right? And I think I'm sorry is a big deal because it it brings empathy into the picture. Mm. Right. You're letting the other person understand that you understand where they're coming from. Right. Then he says, then mirror. So we haven't talked about this, but, you know, the phrase that I would use a lot always would be. So what I'm here that you're trying to say is right. And I think he's this is in the next chapter. Right. It seems you're trying to blah, blah, blah. We've talked about this in the Mm -hmm. podcast, haven't we? Yeah, I'm pretty sure we have. That could have gotten us a lot further in the discussion than just throwing facts at each other and then silence at least four seconds to let the mirror work its magic on your counterpart. Mm. None of those things were followed. Right. 
do I wish those things happened? I do. Mm. I do because you may win, but I don't feel like I won. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because there could have been a lot more that could have been resolved than me just winning my point. Yeah. And anyways, and that's yeah. good. And then it goes to silence, right? Silence, at least four seconds yeah, of the mirror work. It's, yeah, it's, and it's magic on the counterpart. <laughs> silence is hard. Silence when you're is a hard. pit bull, silence is hard. Uh, but the example he uses more in the real world example on this is a lady who went to his training and she had a pit bull boss who would come in and, and basically a lot of times we know like realistically companies usually there are bosses who all they care about is, I don't know, some personal thing. They just want, you know, something. But a lot of times they genuinely want the company to do well. They just have maybe a wrong opinion. Like when you work in corporate world, you know this. A lot of times the people higher up in management don't see the ground level stuff, how things work day to day. And so they they have this idea like we're going to do it this way. But then, you know, like that's not going to implement well at the ground level. But you've got to realize that they've put probably hopefully thought in, into what is going to work best. And if you can find a way to explain your point of view without being the pit bull back, you're going to get further along. And the example was a boss would come and instead of wanting digital copies put on in a digital drive of these files, it was print two, one for the customer and mm. uh, one for yeah. one for me, right? And one that. for the company. And so the the method she used, she used this, is she used the late night DJ voice. She started with the, I'm sorry, like I need these done. And, and so she, she kind of, I don't remember the exact process, but it's something to the effect of, you know, okay, I'm sorry, do you want, would you like me to do this right now? And then silence, let them get back to you like, uh, no, just, you know, by the end of the, the week. Okay. And you want, you want me to do two copies, right? Like I'm, you, you want me to make two copies? Yes. One for the customer. Did the customer ask for these copies? No, the customer didn't ask for the copies. I, I guess just one copy for us. All right. And then, um, that would kind of bother me though, but I, I get, I get what he's saying. Right. And so no. she, she says, so we have the digital files already, but you want a, a, a printed copy on your desk. So you're basically making them rationalize their own thing, right? Because he says later, the intention behind most mirrors should be, please help me understand, right? So if the boss has something, they have a purpose. Like, I, I don't understand why they want me to do it this way. But instead of just saying, this doesn't make sense. Why should we do it? Instead of starting with that, you should say, okay, so did the customer ask for it? No. Okay, so what would you, would you, do you want me to send it to the customer? Where, where do you want me to put the one for our company? Because we already have the digital file. Um, and at the end he was like, you know what, let's just do the digital file, which is what she wanted. Instead of saying, we just have the digital file because he's set in his ways, she's set in her ways. But if he, if she was able to make him rationalize the reasoning behind, where would you like me to store our copy? Um, right now he's got to like, cause we have the digital copy where she never said, I'm not going to do this. He's like, help me understand why you want me to do this. Right. I agree. And I think that's an important that's way good. of doing it. So, um, think about how you can use that in your own life. Like don't come at it as a way of my way is right. Cause maybe it is right. Maybe your boss wants you to do something their way is wrong, but, but use the, help me understand. Like you want me to do this. How would you like me to do it? Um, and, and, and make them repeat back, give them. So you want me to do, how would you like me to do this? Right. And it makes them have to think like, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't the best way. Make them rationalize it, make them defend it without attacking it. Right. Like if you can make them defend their, their points, without attacking it, then they're the ones thinking about it and you're not just going right at them. Agreed. I, I 100%. I'm just thinking of various scenarios where when I was the person that was in charge and I had an assistant keep asking me questions, I would be slightly annoyed. But if they were right, I eventually would go, okay, <laughs> you're right. I'm sorry. Right now, again, 
you're dealing with if you're dealing with rational people, right? right. And again, these tactics, I would say they're they're pretty foolproof, but there's also some individuals that they're just not rational and you won't come to that conclusion. And usually, and I think he talks about irrational people later on, but you know, you can only do so much with irrational. Yep, it's true. All right. <laughs> so so basically it works except for that's and no, I'm just joking. No, yeah. it, he talks about it later because this is never split the difference, right? So in every scenario. Now, I do like, I love how he puts together the key lessons at the end. Mm -hmm. Now, you could technically just skip to these, but you really need the stories to understand what he's saying. Yeah, how it plays out. How it plays out and everything, right? So, you know, we had talked about the, the one that I highlighted was people who view negotiations as a battle of arguments become overwhelmed by the voices in their head. He says negotiation is not an act of battle. It's a process of discovery. And that's so good because, yeah. you know, he talks about slowing down. And one of the best ways to slow down, whether, you know, you're negotiating with somebody for a better price, whether you're negotiating with another individual to get things done, is to understand that if it's not a battle, you're going to have to go slower. Because when you're trying to discover things, it's a slower pace. Yep. It's time. Especially if you can get them talking, right? Like, some of the people I enjoy being around the most are people who, and, and so I try and implement the same things in my own life, but they have you talk about you and you don't even realize because everybody loves to talk about themselves. A hundred percent. Like people love to talk about themselves. So if you can slow down instead of just talking about yourself in a conversation, like do this the next time you meet somebody like just at a work party or just somebody that you're like, you know, like, I don't know, friends or something that you don't really know is get them talking about themselves and just be interested in what they're saying and slow down instead of just jumping in and interjecting. If somebody says like, Oh, yeah. I mean, think about it as a reseller. If someone were to say something, a hobby they're into, and you're like, oh, I, I sell those things, right? Like, you can jump right in to start talking about reselling, and quickly we're talking about reselling in the podcast. And they don't care. Right. They don't care. Let's be real. 99% of the time, anybody that, you know, you start sharing about you being a reseller, you don't care. Yep. Just be real about it. So when people are sharing, be willing to listen to hear them out. Yep. That's good. Is that harsh? That, that people don't care. Yeah. No, I, I do. I do think people, people do care Um, when, you know, you can talk about like, because a lot of people are interested. No, they're in. I, yeah, I get it. They're interested. But if you start going into the details, that's when I feel like the gloss over the eyes happens. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, when you're around other resellers, you can talk details. But um, but yeah, so just imagine a conversation. Let the other person talk 70 percent of the time and you talk 30 percent of the time or even less. And you'll be surprised. There's times when you walk away from somebody and like. My wife will sometimes ask me, like, yeah, I had a really good conversation with this person. Like, I really like this person that I just met, blah, blah, blah. And they'll be like, oh, yeah. And, and when she starts asking me questions, like, well, how many kids do they have? How many? And I'm like, oh, man, like, I didn't even. They did such a good job of asking me questions about myself that all yeah. I did was talk about myself. And they were so polite and kinder in the whole thing. And I like that person. And the next time I see that person, first thing I'm going to go, if we're at a party or something, I'm going to go talk to that person because I like them. And so, like, knowing that, like, not that I was intentionally manipulated, but like, that's such a powerful tool that, that, if you can do that, people will automatically like you more if you slow it down. You're not so concerned about getting your point out and you make your sole purpose listening to them, listening to what they have to say, and they might divulge information that you can then use to build better relationships. Like later on in the conversation, when they talk about something, be like, yeah, I sell those things. I actually know a little bit about some used electronics. Now you know they're interested in it, but if you never let them get to those points then you don't have anything to talk about. Mm -hmm. And and negotiation, um, he says earlier, the language of negotiation is primarily a language of conversation and rapport, right? All negotiation is is conversation. And every conversation is a negotiation of some kind, right? And it's not always like, I want money from you, but but it is like, it's it's like we talked about, it sounds like a marriage book because 
in a lot of ways, that's what every conversation is. It's it's some form of negotiation where you're you're having a conversation. There's things you want to talk about and things that are interesting to you, things that you believe and you want the other person to believe, whatever it is. And, and so negotiating skills are really conversation skills. Agreed. I I, I think <laughs> I think everything in here is something that anyone can do. It's just it takes time and it takes practice. Right. If if you know the the smiling doesn't take a lot, but it does take a lot, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're going through a rough patch, like it takes a lot to smile. But you know, the benefit definitely is there. So it's worth it smiling, right? Even if on the phone. And you know, I love how he says it's the voice of an easygoing, good natured person. Your attitude is light and encouraging. The key here is to relax and smile while you're talking. Mm. And, you know, it just it just goes a lot further. I just go. I I can tell you, and just try. If if you haven't had that experience, just try it out. I will tell you. Even force yourself, right? Even when things are tough, it automatically changes the tone of everything, and will actually change your own demeanor when you're speaking to someone. So, are we ready to wrap up this chapter? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, last closing thought: mirroring will make you feel awkward as heck when you first try it. <laughs> That's the only hard part about it. The technique yep. takes a little bit of practice, and so. Um, like everything we're going to talk about in this book, um, honestly, like I read chapter two a couple of weeks ago, and I would say in 1% of the times I've had conversations and stuff, have I intentionally implemented any of it, mm -hmm. right? Maybe 1%. And so it takes practice. It's like anything. So take some of these skills, smiling, late night DJ voice, mirroring both physically, repeating back, help me understand, do those things. Um, Take some time, practice them, and then the more often you do it, the easier it's going to become. So uh, just on your own, smile, repeat back, mirror. If you can do those things in negotiations and in just conversations, I mean, heck, it might improve. We talked about it. it sounds like a marriage book. It might improve your relationships, right? All across the board, yep. whether marriage, whether reselling, whether, you know, that retail arbitrage deal, whether your own kids. I mean, you're that after Thanksgiving discussion. It can definitely help you resolve and bring in collaboration. It's a good way to level up. There you go. And with that being said, make sure to be real. Be relevant. And be reselling. Peace. Peace.